Hello everybody, and welcome to episode 40 of Inking Out Loud. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us for the first time to discuss the new slash old slash final Robert Jordan release, Warrior of the Altai, everyone's favorite booktuber, Mr. Daniel Green. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on. Daniel, welcome to the show, man. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's been great to be here. Yeah. Uh, before we have... Well, no. I, sorry. Let me let me back up for a second there. I want to say <laughs> that before us, we have something incredible to discuss. It's It's one of the earliest completed works of Robert Jordan, written during the developing stages of an author who eventually became a titan of his genre. So how do we even begin our approach to reviewing something like this? Do we just do what we normally do, Drew, and just kind of like jump straight into style? Like, what is our plan of attack here, fellas? I think uh, think that's a good idea, actually, uh, because... This book, especially being an earlier work of Robert Jordan's, there is really a lot to dig into as far as like the craft of his writing goes and how it, uh, you know, developed over the years from what we see in this book to the point, you know, when he passed away after writing Knife of Dreams. So, you know, I I, I want to just kind of start out and say I think his his uh, writing definitely retains those hallmarks that we all know and love from the wheel of time i mean do you agree i absolutely so i I would say i would say yes and no um there's certain Mm -hmm. like this is faster paced i feel than the wheel of time ever consistently is oh yeah um it also is less detail heavy i mean and those are two things robert jordan is incredibly well known for slower pacing and uh a uh you know attention to detail that turns some off i love but some (laughs) frown at Uh, so i think those two (laughs) things are completely not there but in terms of uh the authorial voice communicating uh, especially the way he handles dialogue i found to be the most similar yeah what really stood out to me that that felt uh familiar you know felt like coming home in a way was kind of his uh, his turns of phrase. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of specific word choices and like um, colloquialisms in the world of Warrior of the Altai that we see carry over into uh, the Wheel of Time. You know, the, just specific um, tendencies that Robert Jordan has with his word choice, I, I thought was there. And then of course there is this, this sort of snarky, um, you know, there were multiple points where I found myself actually laughing out loud because I was like, oh, man, that is just vintage RJ. Yeah, his humor you know? is there in spades. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so. I'll say that you know, since the book came out on Tuesday of this past week, um, which turned out to be like a 55-hour work week for me personally, like I had to get through the vast majority of this one on audiobook if I wanted to finish in time for this video. And, uh, you know, as, as much as as much entertainment as they give me while I'm working, it does have to say again, it sucks having to listen to a book for my first read. Because I I don't feel like I retain anywhere near as much information. That said, I managed to finish about 90% of this book on release day for that exact same reason. It's it's not, you know, it's not a, a huge endeavor to get through this book. And with that pace that you guys are talking about, it just, it flew by. It absolutely flew by. But first and foremost, on my list of things I want to talk about with this, with the style points here is the elephant in the room. Robert Jordan writing in first person. Like, oh how cool God. and unexpected was that? I hate first person, so it wasn't cool for me, man. You hate first person. <laughs> no? Uh, it's, it's my least favorite perspective. That was not a from. pleasant surprise? Not for me. Not for me. I, <laughs> I did. It was executed well. I, you know, I didn't bother me that point. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to throw down a book just because it's first person. But, sure. man, I much prefer third person limited. So much more prefer it. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't really have too much of a problem with first person. I do tend to fall more in your camp, Daniel, where I prefer, uh, you know, a third person Amen. limited point of view. Um, but I, I also feel like this first person choice in Warrior here is tied pretty inextricably to the kind of book we're talking about mm-hmm. and the uh, the the cultural like reading landscape of the time when it was written mm-hmm. oh, yeah. where we we have these books like Conan the Barbarian these like you know swords and sorcery more popcorn reading than epic sprawling fantasies with you know like all kinds of social and cultural commentary yeah. and, and things like that this is more an adventure story and and it's a very specific type of like uh, 
um, adventure story targeted, I think, pretty clearly toward, like, teenage boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, Fair enough. And the fact that we have a first-person perspective here and the kind of character that Wolfgar is provides a pretty blank slate and allows readers, if they want, to step into Wolfgar's shoes. And it can become a real, like, uh, fantasy, so to speak, mm -hmm. for the reader rather than just a fantastic story. You're saying it, it, this the way it's written lends a lot to the escapism. Yes. Oh, yeah. I see. I see. What I actually, I haven't thought about that, but that's absolutely true. I hadn't considered um, that either. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I do agree. This is absolutely a product of its time as well. This reads like 70s fantasy to a T. Uh, I would even <laughs> yeah. say it might be a great introduction to 70s fantasies for people because this is just right. what it was like at the time. Um, kind of that awkward transition phase for fantasy where it was going from the classic to the modern and it was kind of a little disjointed, not quite as well structured, but really different because of that. Um, 70s always stands out to me when <laughs> reading fantasy. Um, yeah. But there's also, I mean, how many nuggets... Like, leading up, like, I don't mean to, I have to do about this, I'm a huge Wheel of Time nerd. I caught so <laughs> many nuggets of ideas that were later fully realized in Wheel of Time. So oh, many. Yeah. I have an entire <laughs> section of my notes dedicated to, just to comparisons where I noticed these little nuggets, as you call them. It was, yeah. I like, oh, I would love, I, I cannot wait to discuss all of these. Because I'm a huge, Drew, of course, both of us being huge Wheel of Time fans as well. There's just so much to be gleaned in this book for those who are already big fans of the Wheel of Time. It's just so yeah. much more surreal of an experience for it. Absolutely. For sure. Before we get into that, though, I do want to touch on one more thing. No, that's <laughs> no, no, okay, good, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's one more thing that I had written down here about kind of just the writing uh, style and the, the, the craft and Robert Jordan's so-called, like, level as a writer in this book um, that I didn't love. Uh, mm -hmm. And and this will this is a little bit of a callback to our Ruin a Kings episode, Rob. If oh. you uh, <laughs> uh -oh. if you remember that, uh -oh. uh, the transitions in this are okay. very abrupt. Uh, they're they're not especially deft. You'll have scenes where it, like five different scenes will happen in one page, essentially. Where like the the scene that really stood out to me was when uh, they've taken Lanta and Wolfgar's sitting on the throne. And it's just like one random person after another just comes in and has a quick conversation and then leaves and then another one comes in and like, and it, it was the kind of thing that you would never get in a Wheel of Time book. Yeah, it it the last third of this book is the weakest, I think, a point of oh, the yeah. book. Um, and mm -hmm. it to me, it read like a first draft play where it's like, okay, we need okay, here's the gist of what's going to happen in the scene. We'll come back and expand on it and now move on to the next one. It felt like it hadn't right. been fully realized. It was like the show notes transformed into the actual writing um which that that i can understand why i have seen some harsher criticism towards this book than i felt was justified but i think that's at least understandable uh some of the things that have been mm -hmm. levied against it there yeah i'd like yeah, to I, I will admit i haven't read or watched or touched any reviews of warrior of the altai yet because uh, i i didn't want to um I, I wanted to come in fresh to it mm -hmm. And especially throwing back to Ruin of Kings, where I did read many, many reviews about that book, both good and bad. And so I I think I may have had some preconceived notions going into that. Mm -hmm. And so with this, especially the, the important touchstone that this represents for Robert Jordan's career, I really wanted to, experiencing it, uh, to experience it fresh. Yeah, I get 100% yeah. so. get that. Um, and I, I had a really hard time trying to strike a balance of like, am I being too harsh? Am I trying to like pull against being too nice? And I don't know where I'm landing. Like, it's difficult to do that as such a huge fan to land where you're actually, okay, I'm being objective here. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I mean, uh, Rob, yeah. What, what do you, well, I, I want to touch really briefly, uh, or at least backtrack just, just briefly to, um, this, this weaker final third that you're talking about, Daniel, because I totally agree with that. Um, but I want to ask if if we think this is could be a result of the the narrative pacing that we were talking about earlier, because this book, you know, it, there's not a lot of time to stop and smell the proverbial roses. It's very fast. You know, things no, happen, yeah. then they happen, then they happen, right? <laughs> and as Drew says, a lot of the times, perhaps with not you know a whole lot of transition in between. Um, but I yeah. like this final third, or maybe maybe it was like the final quarter of the book. Uh, on the audiobook, it was like the final two hours, roughly two two and a half hours out of like a thir thirteen hour book. 12-hour book, something like that. It was um, pretty... 
it was, I don't want to say hard to listen to, but it was hard to follow, is what I'll say. And I'm thinking this might have been because of that momentum that I had earlier in the book. The end of the book kind of felt like it was just staggering, like it wasn't quite sure where to land. Well, no, it actually had a very strong landing. Let me let me take that particular bit back. But just <laughs> this last 25% of the book, I mean, for me personally, I had loud machines all around. He is steel hammers swinging, co-workers interrupting. But it, despite all that, despite going back and listening again and again and again, it just still kind of feels disjointed and, and frenzied. Mm. So uh, this this final, you know, major portion of the book, like how did you guys feel it was um, comprehensibly understood in, in relation to like the first two thirds of this book? I don't want to come across snobby at all. I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I'm not trying to put down audiobooks at all, but I feel oh, like sure, reading dude. it might have helped a bit just because there are physical oh, yeah. breaks. You can see, okay, now we're jumping to another perspective. Now we're jumping to another perspective. Like, not perspective, yes, sorry. Yeah. Uh, another scene. And that could help. Yeah, no, you totally it, nailed it, dude. Yeah, because Michael, I, I assume it's Michael Kramer, um, oh, yeah. going through, it's going to be jarring, I imagine, to have just a two-second pause, and now it's a new scene. And you're not signified as a reader in any way mm-hmm. that now you're in a new scene. I shouldn't have said perspective. Yeah. This is a one-perspective book from beginning to end. Yeah. Although it does, uh, it does pop out into uh, omniscient a little bit at points, which I yeah. found pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. But but as for me, I I agree with you, Rob. And I did read this. I I don't do audiobooks <laughs> myself. But even with that, especially that like last couple of chapters there, um, where we had this sort of simultaneous narrative going uh, with the uh, like the funeral pyres at the Great Ravine and this ceremony in Lanta where Bohemond is sending out the messengers where it kept kind of like flip-flopping and I, I at first I was like wait where is it oh it's a retrospect you know and I was like oh, okay I but it took me a, a few paragraphs there to uh to really realize what he was doing there and i can't imagine what that must have been like on audio yeah because i had to stop and and go back to reread are you getting the uh there's yeah, a level, Daniel's holding up the page. There is a yep. level of scene breakage happening in these two pages that is yeah. unprecedented in my mind. There is <laughs> yeah. one, two, three, four, five scenes in two pages. Uh, which <laughs> yeah, is that's 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 one of the few. Okay, that's that's a problem with the book. Things I don't mean to come down too harshly. I actually did enjoy this book, um, but there's one in there that's three lines, and that's a scene. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, that's this exactly is of, what I was thinking of. This this is one of the drawbacks that I've you know I've talked about this a lot before in, in previous episodes. You know, up to episode forty, we are now listening on audiobook. It's great. It's entertaining, but I would never ever recommend it as a first listen. It is it is a bad idea and should only ever be done if you are <laughs> really really stressed for time and trying to get something out of the way so you can discuss it. Uh, but yeah, no. Like going forward, I mean, I did buy the ebook version. It's actually next to me. I was just you know searching through that one, making sure I was pronouncing the names right and stuff like that. I typically do that even if I don't have the physical. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no. From here on out, nothing but text, definitely. <laughs> Except like when we do something like the Acts of Cain, where the books. Oh are no, sorry. I meant specifically with this it's... book. From every every future reading oh, of this okay. book will probably be done on text, or at least it has to be done next because I just. As an audiobook, it was pretty confusing near the end, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I have kind of just one last sort of style, but just general writing point, and that's to the actual content of this book, the mm-hmm. uh, the subject matter. And um, you know, it, it's, as we said, it's a product of its time. But I, I just you got to point out the elephant in the room here. Like, I Another. is is it really that like? I feel like there are more pages where women are not wearing clothes than when they are wearing clothes in this book. Yeah, <laughs> like the, every single it's the product scene. of a younger male Robert Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I watched uh, Daniel, I watched actually your review of oh. this book just before we went live here, and uh, you called it a book a bit out of its time. And I yep. absolutely 150% yeah. agree with that. If this book had been released nearer to the time <laughs> it was written, I think it would have made a much, you know, it would have had a, a bigger effect, uh, yeah. or at least been appreciated better than <laughs> yeah. a whole bunch of Wheel of Time nerds who are just reading it and like, oh my god, this is so cool, this is his first book, right? right? But with but, what you're talking about there, just Drew, sorry, go ahead, Craig, I didn't want to, uh, Jesus Christ, Craig. Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel. Hi, Craig. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Daniel, Daniel please continue with your point there. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say absolutely. Um, but I don't think you and I are, when we're saying that, are saying it's a bad book. We're just saying, as someone who appreciates the evolution of fantasy, it does feel like a big step back. Um, and not a back in as in a, oh, we're digressing to a worse time in fantasy, just a different, mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, this is the time of sword and sorcery, as you said, the time of, uh, um, you know, the, the people who did a lot of acid in the 60s now turning around and writing fantasy. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that. It's, it's pulp. It's pulp fantasy, yeah. Yeah. you know. I, think, I would but, say this elevates a little bit above pulp. It's, it's a step above pulp. Uh, yeah, that's fair. There's enough there are some interesting. Culture, yeah. Yeah, there's some, some interesting um, themes that he brings in that aren't usually present in, in pulp fantasy, yeah. but, but it has the trappings of it, for yeah. sure. And, and yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I just started laughing when Mayra enters a scene and two sentences later, her robes are puddled around her feet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want so, to talk about Wolfgar as a character. Do you guys have anything else, you know, style-wise you want to, you know, discuss before we jump into our characters or maybe just character? The only person I really have to talk about from this book is Wolfgar <laughs> himself. Well, there's a weird, there's a, there's a tinge of a sci-fi element here. Um, uh -huh. I mean, is, there, is that worth discussing, do you think, in depth? Because there's yeah. a sci-fi element talking about the Wanderers? Yeah. Well, that just yeah, pops sure. So... Head. I feel like if we're going to talk about this, we have to start talking about and bring in these Wheel of Time yeah, that's crossovers, right. because this is sure. maybe the most obvious uh, thematic similarity with for, the parallel worlds. And yeah. For those of, for those who are not aware and have not read Wheel of Time, there are heavy, heavy sci-fi elements prevalent in the Wheel of Time hidden uh, through you know apocalypse, things like that, that exist. Um, the Age of Legends is futuristic, and so therefore that, that exists. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a shadow of what's to come pun intended uh within yeah. <laughs> uh warrior the warrior of the altai here yeah for sure i mean it's the the most high and the wanderers both have clear uh they were clear inspirations for aspects of the age of legends and of the mirror worlds and the parallel worlds and the wheel of time and uh like i i even got you know with the runners uh, a real grom kind of uh sense from them okay with these uh okay you know the, these creatures that have been pulled from another world in and and of course the the fact that i mean we'll, never mind we'll talk about that later but <laughs> but i do i do find it interesting how even back at the very beginning robert jordan was interested in blending these themes of science fiction and fantasy mm -hmm. so yeah, no. How but, cool was but, that scene where Wolfgar got to interrogate the the Most High? Uh, what was yeah. Chason, Chason, Chason. Yeah, yeah. I only heard it on the audiobook, but it, I mean that, that whole scene. I just gobbled that up like a steak. I was just <gasps> more, 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 and then it ended, and I was like, oh. All right. That was pretty cool. I found Very it. Wizard of Oz esque. You know, he's got like the voice box and like the, the three finger gloves, and I'm like, oh, it's all stage trickery, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but on that topic though, with with Wolfgar and and how do you guys feel like he was as a driver for this book? Because he is our only point of view character. Daniel. Uh, okay, I'm gonna say something controversial. So in terms of like Ooh. a well realized character, I have a spectrum in my head. There's the uh, there's the Edward Cullen to Glatka spectrum, where it's complete <laughs> blank slate that you just put yourself on, and there's no character there at all at one end, mm -hmm. and on the other end there is a, this is a person. So it's Edward Cullen to Glockta. Edward Cullen, um, okay, I want to make sure I heard that yeah. name right. Yeah, go, sorry, yeah. go ahead. So, and if you don't know which end <laughs> is which in terms of the rating system, you, you've got a problem as a reader. <laughs> but, um, I found this to be... I'm going to uh, drink to that. Uh, I wouldn't say Wolfgar is the most personality-filled character of all time. Uh, he's got nice elements to him. There's things that are certainly there. Uh, he has a personality, but not worth writing pages and pages dissecting and you know trying to figure out. There's not the nuance that you'll later see in the Wheel of Time emerge. Yep, I I fully agree, and and I was kind of trying to put it into words, and I didn't have the chance to really look this up because I'm sure <laughs> there's like a TV tropes you know page about this uh, this trope. But if a Mary Sue is a an idealized author self insert. Wolfgar is supposed to be an idealized reader self-insert. Yeah. He's a Doc Savage type. 
He just walks that yeah. line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I would say more character than Doc Savage, but not by leaps and bounds. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's well, he definitely on that spectrum you brought up, Daniel. He definitely falls much closer to the Edward Cullen end than <laughs> than uh, any, any kind of character like Glockta or or Kane for you, Rob, or you know one of these characters who's just so rich and so vividly realized on the page that you you know them like you know another human being. Precisely. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that's just, again, one of those elements from the era, I feel like, picking up its head. I mean, that was something that was typical mm -hmm. at the time. Um, you know, you don't see characters that are meant to be so relatable or so deep uh, become the popular choice for a little bit longer. Um, I feel like that really became more prevalent in the 80s and 90s, and we're seeing it, you know, yeah. now it's a must. Now your book is not reviewed well unless your character <laughs> yeah. is well-realized and a real person with flaws and anxiety and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because Wolfgar really only has one flaw in this book, and that is his insistence on keeping the Altai the same, resisting change. Yeah. You know, he but might in terms of the actual like conflict of the story, that doesn't get explored much until the very end. Yeah. So, in terms of characters with like, I mean, he's he's a big dude who's very good at what he does, but he might have one of the highest kill counts. In terms of just murdering people, uh, I've come across it yeah. in a while for a non-magical yeah. character, <laughs> especially for a yeah, like like a debut novel. Like holy crap! Uh, like Wolfgar, I didn't realize until we actually got Wolfgar that like a small part of me unconsciously had been concerned that we'd have another young, naive, awkward teenage character upon whom this oh, yeah. whole story is is would would perhaps hinge. Not that I have any problems with Randolph or easily top tier mm -hmm. best fantasy characters ever but man it, it was just so cool <laughs> to get someone like this instead i thought like not only is wolfgar a full-grown man but he's already a consummate warrior he's mm -hmm. an experienced tactician and more importantly he's already a mm -hmm. respected leader yeah. you know it's it, i thought it was a really really ballsy choice for robert jordan you know who at the time was a relatively experienced inexperienced writer himself to have a character this strong and confident and, and more importantly, competent, you know, mm. I, I thought he really ran the risk of restricting that character growth. If that's a theme that you're going for, I'm not sure if he was even at all. Because if I take a step back, I don't think Wolfgar did much character growing at all. That so I guess that's like, yeah. That's no. like my question for you. Like, wait, is there, was there any character growth in Wolfgar or would it even have been necessary for this particular story? I, I would have been a lot harsher on that if he had chosen to have a young kid who's like thrown into the world type character, because okay. Wolfgar doesn't grow or change, but because he chose to have a competent, skilled, experienced leader, I didn't mind it. In fact, it would have felt strange to me to have this guy go through this amazing arc in a small book. I mean, you can burn through this book in a day if you try really hard. Mm. Um, yeah. It would have been yeah. strange oh, to have that turnaround. <laughs> yeah, it would have been strange to have this guy like completely change who he is and not entirely believable. So I think it fits with the choices made for the text, where he changes a little bit, but he's not a whole new person by the end. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And I I have a question kind of for both of you guys that's attached to that. And that is, do you think had, um, had history gone a little differently, do you think Robert Jordan wanted to write a sequel to this? I kind of, it read to me as if he absolutely, he did the whole way through and just decided perhaps near the end, he just, you know what, maybe I'll end it here. But this I, is, again, very brief. Yeah, um, if I have to do a whole lot of speculation, and I don't know what I'm talking about in general, so take this with a massive grain of salt. <laughs> um, based off what I read in the forward at the beginning, and the fact that the end of this book is so just like, let's get it done, I feel like he initially set out to write maybe a trilogy, maybe a bigger book, but it's so just let's get it done. I feel like he got near the end and he just got like, okay, this isn't where I want to put my passion. This isn't the, this isn't the kickoff point I want for my series. And so he kind of wrapped it up and then realized, okay, this is a good book. Let's try to get it published. <clears throat> and then I, from there I can go and work on my Conan, my wheel of time, my what have you. Yeah. Yeah, I got the feeling that yeah. perhaps the Wanderers had a larger part yet to play, and perhaps there was going to be a bigger struggle on that front or something, you know, along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, I think that's yeah, what gave I, me the impression. I thought, I thought with with how it was left open with Brecken and Sayin at mm -hmm. the end there, 
that was a, a very obvious uh, easy jumping point for a sequel. And also the fact that there's a pretty expansive map included in this. And yeah. we we didn't touch like was there? 80% of that map. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. Well, okay, that map... It, okay, I tried so hard to justify that map being Shara. I was like, it's Shara. This is this going to be a Shara story. We're going to get into Shara. Really? No. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> oh, I know. I have, have, like, the, the backbone of the world be, like, the Cliffs of Dawn it, on the far yep. side of the Isle Waste. Yeah, there's your map, and it's flipped. Oh. So if you... Yeah. I was oh. so ready for that to be Shara. Oh. <laughs> but no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good fondly. Boy yeah, I, I just I just had that thought pop in when I got to the end of the book and, and how rushed it felt and, and how open-ended it was left. I thought there was a lot of potential for a sequel there, and I, and I feel like Robert Jordan had to have had some intent built in when he wrote this book. But That's fair. Um, That's fair. But as, as far as sticking to characters, though, uh, to kind of reel it back to where we were with Wolfgar... Um, I want to talk about, uh, oh my gosh, I just totally blanked. Mayra? Mayra. Mayra? Yeah, that's her name, right? I think that's how it's pronounced in the audio. I said it Mira, but I'm dyslexic, so completely. How is it spelled? I still don't know how it's spelled. M A Y R A, right? Okay, that's that's exactly how I spelled it. Look at me. I just like totally blanked, just completely brain farted. Uh, but. (laughs) At least you didn't call Daniel Craig. I think we have, um, uh, An interesting character here, even if she does spend most of this book naked. Uh, She's definitely... Well, the Sisters of Wisdom in general are a clear progenitor for the Aes Sedai. Yes. Um, And the culture of Wolfgar's people was clearly a precursor for the Aeel. I mean... Oh, yeah. The wise sisters, (laughs) yes. Yeah. 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 So, but with, with Mera, I felt like there was a little bit of a trap there for me as a Wheel of Time reader where... I wanted her to be Moiraine, and she, she had, you know, there were like a few things in there about her personality that were reminiscent of Moiraine, but she was not at all the same kind of character. So when she made her first appearance, I was like, okay, I know where this is going. I know what's going to happen with her. And then I was just way wrong, (laughs) you know? Wrong enough. (laughs) But did you guys also find yourself like trying to assign characters from this to Wheel of Time characters. Oh, how could you not? I didn't. I, I don't think I was. did. <laughs> no? I think I was too busy with world elements, because I just did the other side of it, where I was, like, trying to... Okay, okay, uh, okay there's the clear connection that women use magic and men don't. Well, okay, boom. Like, there's that right there. Yeah. Um, right, there's yeah. the, the spine of the world. It basically exists in this book. It's just called something else. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's things like that where I was just looking for those. Um, for, in terms of character... It, it read so different character-wise for me that I just... I don't think I made any connections, uh, really. Okay. Yeah, because I... By the time I finished the book, I had kind of abandoned that. Mm-hmm. But when I started, I was definitely looking for those connections to make, and then they just weren't there as much as I thought they would be. Um, but you're right, Daniel. It, it was much more the world-building aspects that... Were, were like, oh yeah, this was the foundation, the, the creative foundation for the Wheel of Time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, things well, like, like Lanta, just the city of Lanta and the yeah. layout. I was like, oh, the Camelin. Yeah. Well, the throne, the, the the low throne town of Lanta city. Yeah, and, is it's passed down from queen to daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, we, even certain themes are, are carried over. We have this theme of prophecy and, and potential salvation, right? As long as everything goes according to plan. Um, mm-hmm. We have even just some some scenes themselves that kind of play out very familiarly, you know. Uh, for example, Wolfgar in the palace of Lanta after he's taken it, uh, the city, and he's addressing like all these cowering nobles with, while his like barbarian warriors are blocking the exits and they're lining the walls and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, yep. like there's yeah, there was definitely a, just so much to be gleaned for for hardcore Wheel of Time fans to to dive in there, but like just to to just get that look at these notions that had just started to plant themselves in his head at this time is just, again, I'll say it, surreal. Absolutely surreal. And of course they're not as well realized as they later would be. They're not as well fleshed out. But I still think, you know, even as a non-Wheel of Time fan, you can appreciate them. You know, if someone hasn't read Watt and they want to get into this, they're still not poorly handled by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Right. I, I... 
I think you guys might disagree with me on this one because I might be crazy, but I felt like one of the strongest similarities between this and what was the way the atmosphere of the story read. To me, it felt very Wheel of Time and just the way the book made me feel, um, you know, as I put myself in the setting. Uh, like it, it I, Maybe it was a combination of his dialogue and the way he would describe things, but it just made me feel, okay, if someone handed me this and didn't tell me it was Robert Jordan, I would still think this is someone who was influenced by his writing style significantly in that way, where it felt, uh, I don't know, like the world felt similar in the feeling of it. And I don't know what a better way to put that to words is <clears throat> outside of that. 100%. I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, while while the writing may not have been as polished as you know we were used to with the the heights the wheel of time hit uh it it really was a a sense of familiarity reading this book where you're like you can tell this is robert jordan Mm -hmm. you know it was it's something in the way he constructs (laughs) like the flow of his narrative Mm -hmm. that even though this is much faster paced than the wheel of time it's still the same familiar progression through scenes and and through plot overall that makes it very easy to read mm-hmm. um it, it's it's again going back to what i mentioned earlier like the word choices it's these little idioms and colloquialisms that he throws in to help enrich the world it's the the humor woven in both in the dialogue and in the narration um and the way robert jordan can build really uh, powerfully emotional scenes, even in this. Yeah. yeah, there were a couple of scenes that were very touching. Yeah, and then, and then he he was also capable of taking that powerful scene and breaking the tension with some humor. I mean, there was one, there's one line. Um, it was with, um, oh man, it's when he comes back. Uh, he gets back from breaking out of Lanta, and he meets Bartu outside the camp. I love that scene. And. and and Bartu, you know, like there's this this moment of reunion, and and he says, "It's me, Bartu, alive, if somewhat the worse for wear, and in need of a bath." And then there was moisture in his eyes, and in mine also. But then there was a lot of dust in the air. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is such like you can see that exact same thought coming out of somebody's like 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 Perrin or somebody yeah. like Matt, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sense of humor rung true, you know, all the way through, and. I I, th- I did like there was a consistent theme of like manly men in this book suppressing like their like emotions and being like yeah brother right like I'm not hurt by this <laughs> that that same theme occurred repeatedly where it's oh, like yeah. I don't feel I don't feel emotions right now <laughs> yeah yeah no I can definitely see his touch I can see Robert Jordan's fingerprints all over this book but I will admit that I don't know if I'd have been able to draw that correlation unless I was told to look out for it, or unless I went into okay. it knowing that this was a Robert hmm. Jordan book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if that's maybe perhaps, I don't want to say lack of experience. I've read The Wheel of Time a hundred, not a hundred times, but at least a couple dozen times all the way through. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I that's don't fair, man. think... Everyone gleams different things. That's, it's completely yeah. Going subjective. into it, knowing it's a Robert Jordan book, I, was, I knew what to look for, and therefore I was able to find it. But if someone had just handed me this book and said, hey, does this remind you of anybody? I'm not sure if Robert Jordan would have been the first name on my list. Oh, okay. So that's completely fair. And you're, you, know, you might be totally right that my bias of knowing puts all that in there. I'm 100% willing to admit that. It could be, or it could, like, who knows? <laughs> I, I'm sure, I also want to know um, from our listeners if they have um, a similar you know, reaction like mine or like perhaps like Daniel's and, uh, and Drew's. Yeah, definitely. Uh, check out our Facebook page, join in the conversation there. Let us know what you thought about Robert Jordan's writing style in this book. And if you think it, uh, you know, rang true to the wheel of time or not, if you would have been able to tell it was Robert Jordan, not knowing beforehand. Yeah. I have to ask just purely (laughs) as an audio nerd, uh, was Michael Kramer's narration as good as ever? So good. And the fact that we're like, Previously, before this, we were just covering um, the fires of heaven. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, uh, Kramer would have been recording oh. that probably in the mid '90s. Um, so, like '94. Yeah, well, the book was released '94, but were audiobooks like released um, alongside the books? Do we know? Actually, I have no idea. Yeah, that's that's, that's I why I left some then, so. room there. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, I was four years old. I was, uh... <laughs> I was three. Yeah. So, but you know, like going, like going back and listening to the earlier Michael Kramer books, like in the Wheel of Time series, and listening to the later ones, the way his voice changes and just becomes so much deeper and more gravelly, and it has so much more earth <laughs> and depth to it. L- listening to a Robert Jordan book with Michael Kramer's la- like later voice, oh my god, it was it was so so well done. I, again, Michael Kramer's a legend. Like he's just one of the best audiobook narrators out there. He just so how was his delivery on that scene, the first scene in Lanta when Wolfgar goes before the Twin Queens and he has his oh. like proclamation? Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's talking about the wall hangings and he's talking about yeah. taking them slaves and stuff. Uh, yeah, no, he uh, Wolfgar, Wolfgar is <laughs> Kramer gives Wolfgar the voice that Wolfgar needs. It's just. I wouldn't change a thing. There's no faster way for me to bump a fantasy uh, work up my TBR list than having Michael Kramer and Kate Redding on it together. Like, I love the way they, they capture stories so well, either one of them or together. I will oh, yeah. read a book or listen to it specifically because I see they are involved. Yeah, confession. Oh, when, wow. I, when I was when I was looking at look for Warrior of the Altai, uh, like the 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 night before at midnight, when I was gonna download and listen to it at work the next day, I was like, please be Michael Kramer, please be Michael Kramer, please be Michael Kramer. <laughs> and I saw it, and I just went, <laughs> I just kind of clapped, and I was like, yes, good, all right, this is gonna be good. Oh man, yeah, I I have to admit, you know, that experience is foreign to me because I don't do audiobooks, but ah. uh, but there's there's always a you know. A sort of academic interest in that that I have because as a writer myself and as somebody who has done public readings of my own work I I have an appreciation for how difficult it can be to properly deliver prose in, in a spoken setting and I know I read books with a certain cadence and a certain rhythm and and I have my interpretation of what I think the author was trying to do with those, you know, the construction of those sentences. And and so whenever I come across a particular passage or a, you know, a really cool line or something, I always wonder, I'm like, what is the audiobook like for this? Is it like how I'm reading it? Or is there another interpretation here? You know, and, and so that's one of the things that I find fascinating about audiobook listeners versus book readers versus people who do both. Mm-hmm. Because how much does that audiobook interpretation impact how you end up no. reading when you sit down with the physical it's, book or an ebook? It's really good that you, good that you bring this up because at the end of every single Wheel of Time audiobook, there is that interview with Robert Jordan, and in that interview, he is asked, "Do you read your own books?" And he says, "No, but I listen to my own books because I want to know if I ah. said what I think I said." Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Drew. See, I, I, am, I am a very read things however you want to read them. I don't care person. So if someone wants to do ebooks, physical, hardback, paperback, audio, if they want to slam mm. their head into it and to like get the information in somehow, I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I 100% believe, I just, I'm finishing up uh, narrating my first paid audiobook. I've started doing that and it's, it's, it's an oh, adventure. Cool. And oh, I can yeah? tell you, yeah, I can tell you as someone who's starting now, it is so hard <laughs> it is I can believe it. really really hard and I for people like Michael Kramer who have been doing it for so long and are clearly so meticulous and so and fill every character with such personality it's massive respect he has um, 50 different voices doesn't he how does yeah. he do that he's like one of the Simpsons actors who just pulls out like a hundred <laughs> different people like it's it's truly <laughs> remarkable yeah and I do believe a great audiobook performance can elevate and change a story whether or not changing it's good or bad i mean i think like lord of the rings you need to read you know what i mean there's things like that where it's sure they're you know but yeah listening out a book later on but reading lord of the rings is like a spiritual experience for every fantasy fan you need to do <laughs> mm-hmm. but like you know i don't bash audiobooks because i do appreciate the art of narration on such a great level um, yeah yeah, like, yeah while audiobooks don't do it for me they they tend to be frustrating uh i I read a certain way. I read very quickly, and and it's like I when I get like get in the zone, I'll read, I'll like comprehend two lines of text at once. So I'm not like reading word by word, which is how audiobooks by nature mm-hmm. you have to listen word by mm-hmm. word, and so you can only 
speak so quickly and if you crank up that you know like 1.5 two times speed i think that takes away from it because then you lose like the rhythm and the inflection yeah. and the narration you know Delivery and is, is yeah suffers and so that. audiobooks tend to just be painfully slow like rob you said what warrior of the altai was like 13 hours 12 hours you know, i have it right here uh, Warrior of the Altai as an audiobook is precisely nine hours twenty nine minutes. Whoa, I overestimated it. Nine hours. Okay, nine and a half hours. Okay, but so I read this book in like a little over three hours. Yeah. Wow. Are you like, shitting? Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> you yeah. have a superpower. Uh, we need yeah, to I discuss know. that. <laughs> <laughs> this guy reads at an inhuman pace. I, I've been saying it, and I will continue to say it. If I um, hadn't well, been sitting here having a detailed discussion with you about this book and you told me, oh, I read it in three hours, I would be like, I'm not going to talk about this book with you because you clearly didn't actually read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now I know definitely. you know what you're talking about, so I believe you. And, and it's clear I'm that not floored. only he read it, he appreciates it too. Yeah. Like he actually <laughs> absorbed God. it. He retained the book. That's a, It's a superpower that you have, Drew. Uh, myself, with audiobooks, the main reason I listen to them is because I get to listen to books at work and when I'm working mm. and I'm welding 11 hours a day, it's very, very boring. Mm. Mm. So being able to listen to the dulcet tones of Michael Kramer and as he's just de <laughs> delivering eight different characters at once in one scene and somehow, even without telling you, like when, when the narrative doesn't tell you which character is speaking at any given moment, you can still tell which character is doing the speaking because Michael Kramer has such a distinct way of delivering everybody in these books. But be it yeah. like the, Stor the Stormlight Archive, the Wheel of Time, you know, even Mistborn, and now with, with Warrior of the Altai, like these are of course all the Michael Kramer books that I've listened to phenomenal like yeah. uh, even as somebody who wants to like who, who someday wants to do some bit of, of, of voice acting or somebody who like like it just it's it's a case study every time he has something new to offer michael yeah. kramer 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. now i i do want to uh pull the conversation a little bit away from this because uh yeah something was mentioned if you don't mind i, I apologize but oh go for it um, go for it dude it's a podcast not a lecture <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be the most shallow question ever, but I, I want to ask, because Robert <laughs> okay. Jordan, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of debate about this topic with Jordan books. How do you feel about his co the cover of this one? The cover? The cover. Oh. It's pretty in terms of it's color. It's fine. It's pretty bland. Okay. I, I I feel like the cover... But I, So I'll also say this. I, I do think the choice behind, like the decision-making behind the cover art for this is tied into the kind of work this is, which is a an unpolished work. Okay. Right? The, okay. This is, this is not a book that has gone through, like, extensive, rigorous editing to prepare it for publishing, right? Like, like we didn't get, like, rounds of revisions mm -hmm. with Robert Jordan after they made the decision, yes, we're going to publish this. And, and so I think this sort of minimalist cover that they chose for it is reflective of that and okay. i can appreciate i mean that's that's my conjecture i may i may be wrong and mm. <laughs> but but if that is the case uh i can appreciate the decision making behind that i i agree with that to an extent i also think it was chosen to be minimalist so his name would stand out as much as possible because you know you're trying yeah. you got your sell on the author in this case mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit oh, yeah. um especially if you look at the spine it's quite literally robert jordan Warrior of Delta. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's a there's a bit of that to an extent. There's just you know the Wheel of Time covers infamously have been memed to this point in the fantasy community and things like that. Um, but to me, I I am partial to minimalist covers. I like them. So to me, mm. I would go as far as to say I like this more than even the new Wheel of Time covers in some cases. Not all of them, because some of the new Wheel of Time covers are fantastic. Um, but yeah. I like I the ebook covers. Yeah, the ebook covers, and there's also the yeah, new yeah, run, yeah. which is just the minimal uh, Wheel of Time logo, kind of repositioned and differently colored. Right. That's um, yeah. I I like discussing the artwork of a book cover and how people interpret it, and I think you were right on where this is a minimal one, and it's supposed to be seen as this is a this is a, a thing for fans, a, a road for fans to go down, and that's that's what this is presented as. That's why Robert Jordan is larger than the, than the title of the book on the spine, <laughs> yeah. and equally large on the front. Um, so that's just my little aside there. I, you, I'm a I'm a nerd for a lot of things and books. Book I I judge books by their covers. Damn it. <laughs> Ooh, so we <laughs> we actually don't covers. talk about I cover do. art too much on this. Although no. like usually I, I only really 
We we have well we certainly did with Heroes Die because that is the worst cover oh, of all time. Yeah. Well, maybe second worst after that one Dune book, uh, God Emperor of Dune, <laughs> with like the the. I, if you're curious, go look up the cover of that book. It's know it. it's horrific. Uh, but I haven't seen the cover of that one. But yet. I know for sure that <laughs> when we get to the Black Company, we'll be discussing the cover art because Daniel, like like you just said, I read the Black Company purely because I judged books by their covers. And I saw the cover of the second Black Company compendium, The Books of the South, and it is to this day the most amazing book cover I've ever seen. Uh, Like, I I, I saw it, I was like, well, (laughs) I am reading the crap out of that, you know, and and I went and, and bought the first book and read it and loved it, and it was history from there, but, and and that's a, so that cover artist is Raymond Swanland. He actually did the Towers of Midnight Wheel of Time ebook cover with Perrin forging the hammer. Oh my god, that is such amazing. a fantastic piece of art. That's the second yeah. best Wheel with of Time the, with cover. The, with the eyes shining and the sparks flying everywhere. Perrin yeah, looks yeah. like Schwarzenegger. And, and, oh my god. And that the is, wolf that is, in the flames. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... As, as somebody who just had the, the went through the audiobook this time, and I do have the e-reader version now, but of course it's all in monochrome, just like dry ink on the front. I haven't been able to really appreciate what this book looks like to feel and hold. But um, I, oh, I can yeah. say I do really like I'm really digging that red and black gradient. That just mm-hmm. the, it's something about that that color scheme it just does it for me. That that is an eye catcher for me. I, I would zero right in on that if I was in a bookstore. I and as I as do someone, think that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so I was just saying I do think that color choice was also great because this is a book of like blood and shadow, right? Mm. There's. There's so much gore, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and you know the the climactic battle is taking place under these black clouds, and and so especially with like the fading black, you know we have the black around the top and bottom, and then it fades into this red with the stark black, you know it, it's it's a very violently colored cover. Yeah. And I, Which fits with the book. As someone who Visceral. is a bit of a, a bookshelf fanatic, someone who likes making their bookshelf look pretty, I can say this one does look good right before or after all your Wheel of Time books being like, hey, here's a, here's a little bookend. Here's a little aside. You know what I mean? Here's a little, here's a little Robert Jordan bookend. Yeah. Right <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I haven't actually put my book on my shelf yet, so I, I haven't had a chance to look at that. All right, thank you for putting up my snobbery. That's all I wanted to say. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. It's... This is one of the things we like having, uh, you know, guests on the podcast because we tend to uh, sort of get in certain rhythms and we discuss more or less the same topics each time. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to get an outsider perspective and bring in something that we don't talk about a lot. I like being brought out of that uh, rut. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for indulging me and I'm glad you liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But on on that note, I I feel like we're kind of closing in on, on... what we have to say here, but I wanted to ask you guys if you have a three favorite scenes for the book. Yes, I do. Did we tell Daniel to prepare for this? You want to kick it off? I I, uh, I was not told to prepare for this. Uh, <laughs> was I? Maybe I was. I don't know. Uh, no, you you were not. I I that kept was this my, one in my, my first uh, on my sleeve. Um, <laughs> three favorite scenes. Let, come to me last. I will. I will. I was going to say thoughts. we can we can go back to you afterwards okay. if you okay. like. Yeah. Okay. Drew, you want to give us you know yeah, our Rob. first three. Since you were the one who wanted to uh, uh, ambush our special right. guest right. with that one, <laughs> yeah. So I've already mentioned one of my favorite scenes, and that was Wolfgar coming before the Twin Queens and making mm-hmm. his uh, statements of doom for Lanta, and and just just being like a completely cocksure <laughs> and and refusing to be condescended to. Um, but my my second favorite scene had to have been that final battle at the ravine. Uh, I loved the the descriptions of the like the formations. I thought that was as as far as like a, a huge battle goes. That that was a great description. That's up there with some of the best battle descriptions in the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can clearly tell from the from the get go. Robert Jordan has a grasp on military tactics. Uh, but my favorite scene in the book, maybe it's more of a sequence, was uh, Wolfgar in the old cell. Whoa. And the description of his torture in the dark with the, the grinding plates below the floor and the floor pulling out and these 
unknown reptilian things in, in this... I mean, just, just horrific torture that he's going through. The mental torture more so than the physical. Of course, he's being you know, starved and all that, but but it's the the mentality that he develops in there about the, this not fear of death, but fear of this ignominious death among these you know whatever slithering things that he's afraid of. Yeah, I loved that. I thought that was the best bit of writing in the whole book. Okay. So. Okay. Um, so my three, <clears throat> I'll start with number one. Um, it will be Wolfgar's sort of idle spur of the moment eulogy of that young warrior named Rolf, mm. I think it was. Yeah. Who, yeah. who died in his place as Wolfgar was attacked by the assassin. And it was what mm -hmm. he said about Rolf that really got to me. He said, and I quote, he had three kinds of courage. The kind that makes a man brave in battle, the kind that makes a man say or do the thing that must be said or done, and the kind that makes a man do what other men say can't be done. That was just a beautifully written line, that or, or eulogy, whatever you want to call it, and I I did get chills in that moment. I was like, wow, like this this here is where the like the writer that Robert Jordan is going to be is, is already starting to peek through. In that scene, so was with a, that. Go with ahead. that particular scene, I very much felt echoes of Heath Tower from the prologue okay. of uh, in, uh, Towers, Towers of Midnight. Midnight. Yeah, sweet. See, I do me, like I, that. To me, those are the kind of lines that are written by someone who had military service, which Robert Jordan did. Like that's where that kind of yeah. experience shows mm -hmm. through, where you're able to tell this guy, you know, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to what makes you know a, someone brave, what makes someone a soldier. Um, yeah, yeah. He's seen the beast. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Uh, my second favorite scene would be during Wolfgar's escape from Lanta as he finds, and I'm going to get this name wrong, I'm certain, Hulagai? Hulagai? H-U-L-O-G-A-I uh, oh, oh, is how I, how I spelled yeah, it. Yeah, the guy who was impaled? Yeah. Yeah. When he finds his, his you know, uh, like this warrior near death from torture and, and learns the fate of the rest of his warriors. First off, that scene, gorgeous. It was macabre, but it was beautifully written. And, and Wolfgar's mm -hmm. revenge as he's plotting how to reach, and I'm going to get her name wrong too, uh, Elana? Alana? Elana? Yeah. Yeah. E-L-A-N-A. E-L-A-N-A. I did Elana, but I'm not sure. I just put two L's yeah. in that, but other than that, I nailed it. Sweet. Uh, he's looking up at the <laughs> climb, and he's thinking, there were no low walls with guards, only towering carved walls. Up four floors in the dark to get to her. It could have been a set of stairs. Oh yeah. my god, what a line. His <laughs> sentence level prose is is already showing those those moments of sheer brilliance. And number 3 to wrap it up, um it was just a moment when the Marasa tosses that bundle towards Wolfgar near the end and it unravels Ooh. and we find out it's holding Harold's head. There there was something so visceral in the response that we got from Wolfgar that we hadn't seen before up to this point this sheer loss of control this this burning rage you know it like up to this point as you were saying about him earlier drew like he's 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 chill as a cucumber this guy you can't get to me but damn somebody I will, finally did. I will also point out with that scene and this is part of why it was one of my favorites as well was the description of their charge yeah they were like, silent yeah that bloodlust or blood drunk you know like he's just they were was, so angry that they were all silent. Like, dark, whew. but perfectly written. Perfectly written. So, yeah, those are my three favorites. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't have quotes <laughs> ready, <laughs> so uh, so apologize for that. That's uh, okay, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> we <laughs> ambushed you with this one. It's all good. It's all good. I think my three favorite scenes uh, off the top of my head, one would be the showcasing of magic early on where the, uh, let's call them world hopper, haha, <laughs> Cosmere, um, was all of a sudden uh, forced to be translated, where basically their language was stripped from them. Oh, I yeah. loved that. Oh. I've seen sci-fi handle language barriers a lot of times, but seeing one in fantasy so aggressively handled uh, was pretty neat. Um, it was different, and it stuck out to me as just like, you know, magic can be used to fix language barriers, and that's not elaborated much on, but it can, and it's pretty cool. I like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean that I wish the magic system had been more expanded on, but in a what, how many pages like sub four hundred page book, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like three ninety four or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's not going to be done. Um, 
I also really liked uh, an odd scene uh, to like on this level, but to me it made the character of Wolfgar much more interesting. And that's where he's made to essentially grovel for food, and he does. Instead of doing oh. the typical trope of no, I'll refuse to eat, he does. He does eat. Yes. Which I think made him a much more relatable person, someone who still proved he was not broken and smarter than the people dealing with him in a not entirely Mary Sue way, because the Mary Sue way would be, no, I'm just not going to eat, and I'll still be strong enough later on to deal with stuff. No, he right. ate because he was willing to give in, and he was still plotting. That was great. And I liked his, like, justification for doing so in, uh, like, within his honor system. Yeah. yeah. Where he's saying, it's not dishonorable for me to grovel. What would be dishonorable is to give up yeah. or or to let my pride overwhelm me. And he, he drew this line between pride and honor. Which is, and I really appreciate that's that. That's a way to honor make me context. like someone on that level. Yeah, because it's so frustrating when yeah. a character won't do the obviously smarter choice because the author wants them to be, you know, they'll never break. And it's like, come on, <laughs> anyone, if they haven't yeah. eaten for four days, I'll do some <laughs> sick stuff for food if you don't eat, if I skip a <laughs> meal. So, um, yeah. And I think the last thing would be... Um, uh, final scene. I had it in my head, and it's now gone. Give me a second; it'll come back. <laughs> it's like a sneeze. I just got to get it out. <laughs> um, oh, it's alright. I did that with Mayra's name earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think my final pick would be. Uh, oh well, it's going to be more of a general thing, and that's the way Robert Jordan handled combat in this one, because we didn't get cat crosses the courtyard. Oh, sure. We didn't get things like that. Instead, we got yeah. a very glossing over at times, but still having impactful moments with combat where it would be like okay he fights these five guys we're not going to go into detail everyone but then it would like refocus in on pivotal moments and I thought that was an interesting way to handle combat and I like that Robert did it that way um, where it kind of fluctuates in and out of detail depending on what's important um, and I, I honestly was going into this expecting to hear barbarian sword forms so it was a, a nice little change about I'm there. really glad that we didn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> sweet okay so? Well, uh, so I think before we move into the final draft, uh, do we just have any kind of wrapping up points, final thoughts we want to cover? Uh, I do. I have one. Um, I just wanted to say that, you know, all in all, point of view aside, it was pretty much exactly what I expected out of the story. You know, it was a solid hmm. story, if not quite up to his later standard, written by a man who would go on to change the entire landscape of epic fantasy. Or, like, I, I and I, as I said earlier, I watched... Daniel, I watched your review on this book on YouTube, and you called it a book out of its time. 150% agreed. Um, and then that said, like looked at, like looked at for what it is. It was surreal reading it from beginning to end, and I'm glad that we did get that one final work from the man who was James Oliver Rigney Jr. Hats mm -hmm. off. Agree. Okay. So, so yeah, I have a, a couple of quick points. One of them, I, I think, in a lot of ways. I agree with you, Rob. It was the book I expected, but and maybe this is simply uh, an indictment on my lack of experience with books from this time. I was not expecting such uh, overt uh, like sexual content. Right. Um, while while Robert Jordan didn't have anything like you know the infamous like George R. R. Martin scenes. <laughs> you know, with, like, blow-by-blow blow descriptions of what's going on in that bed, there were still some some pretty shockingly sexual, like, I mean, that yeah. scene where, where Wolfgar is like pulled out of, you know, he's, like, bathed and brought up to Alana's chambers, and, yeah, like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Um, and and so that that took me aback a little bit, and, and I do think that's a, a weakness in this book, how just how prevalent the... Uh, like unadulterated male gaze is the number 100%. of scenes obviously you know where where there are just naked women left and right and and the descriptions are constant descriptions of their breasts you know and and how whenever they're like painting these runes on it, it's always swirls around the breasts and things like that um i i was like hmm okay well, maybe I don't need to read more fantasy from the 70s. If this is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough, um, fair enough. But, but despite that, and, and despite what I mentioned earlier about my issues with some of the, you know, the like craft level things with like transitions and whatnot, I do still think this is a very solid book. I, I was 
happy with the quality of it. I wasn't sure what to expect going in. I was worried that it was going to be very raw, that it was going to be, you know, something that's like, that would kind of mar my memory of Robert Jordan, if that makes sense. And coming out the other side, that was not at all the case. In fact, I have more of an appreciation, and I think it's clear just how talented this man was when it came to writing a story. Yeah, it's it's seeing someone with a whole lot of potential who's still solid, but you see well just how good they're gonna go. They're, you know, there's this. I've said seeds so many times in this. You know what I mean? Those seeds are there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Unquestionably. So Daniel, do you have any? Uh, you know, uh, not, 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 not. I think we did a good job. We tore it apart uh, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Right, then Great. let's uh, let's head into the final draft. Sure. Rob, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I can kick us off. So at the time of this recording. That being October third, is the thirteenth today, right? I didn't actually yeah. look that up. It, it uh, is sweet. Okay, good. Um, it's actually Thanksgiving here in the Great White North. Oh First, snap! The, the oh. obligatory suck it, Americans. We get Turkey Day in October, right? And <laughs> in keeping with that theme, like last week, for example, I I brought to the table another contestant in my search for a worthy pumpkin ale. This one is oh, from boy. Great Lakes Brewery here in Ontario. And it claims to be a handcrafted beer with your usual autumn spices, which are cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, allspice. And, of course, pumpkin, added pumpkin, which I only recently found out is not really a flavor. Or, okay, no, it's, a, it's a flavor, but have you ever actually tasted a pumpkin? It's disgusting. Yeah, So, no. with, with the pumpkin spices listed, this beer <laughs> was, I was going to say also disgusting, but no, it wasn't actually that bad. Um, I had it in the freezer before we started the podcast, so it was pleasantly cold this time around instead of drinking it warm. But this was hands down a much better pumpkin ale than the last one I brought on. Um, this is just called Pumpkin Ale, and it's from Great Lakes Brewery. I would probably give it a, a drinkable rating. I Will I drink it again? Maybe again <laughs> around this time next year, but I'm not going to be like... You know, holding my breath for it. It was an okay. It was a solid beer, seven out of ten. It did the, the pumpkin notes, the pumpkin spice was there, and it wasn't okay. disgusting like the last one was. All right, all right. Well, glad it was better than the one last yeah. week. <laughs> yeah, the one last week, like I think I described it as being watered down piss with hay, like dry hay inside of it. That's what it tasted yeah. like. It was. You know. We're getting some of the best beers oh. now, and we're getting some of the worst. Micro brews, man. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a shame. So. Yeah. Uh, so, Daniel, what, uh, what are you Daniel been drinking today? All right. So, I have been trying to cut down on drinking sodas and cutting down on drinking beer. So, what I have brought to the table is the finest of LaCroix. I have an apricot LaCroix. <laughs> an apricot <laughs> oh, LaCroix. Nice. Yes. It tasted like someone burped apricot into water. And it's, uh, it's a quite, quite <laughs> pleasant uh, draft, I would, I would say. Definitely, definitely, definitely made in the last couple of weeks. Probably shipped in a dirty truck. And then up unloaded at a local, <laughs> local, uh, local giant eagle. So that's my review of my drink. <laughs> Excellent. Sweet. Excellent. I like it. Oh, Drew. Oh man. Hit us, my man. Yeah. So so I am drinking a beer from Rally King Brewing Company in my hometown of Fort Collins, Colorado. It is a kettle sour rye saison, brewed with blood oranges. I think I know what some of those were. And uh, so it, it's a like tart, fruity, very delicious. Mm. Um, I, I didn't even realize like when I bought this that it was Rally King. I'd, I'd actually had this beer before at their brewery, but it was just called Blood Orange Saison at the time. They have changed it. And the new name, which I thought was pretty appropriate for oh, uh, both a Robert Jordan book and specifically Warrior of the Altai, Oh, it's called Bloody Good. All right. Oh, yes. <laughs> I like it. It's well very chosen. quaint. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a not the best beer that I've brought in. You know, I don't think it quite rises to the level of some of my beers for the uh, Fires of Heaven episodes. I don't know if I'm ever going to beat Wolf's Wedding. Honestly, like. Well, I don't Kiss. know, dude. Daniel, for for the Shadow Rising Part One. He brought on a beer. I think it was the Shadow Rising Part One. He brought on a beer called yeah, Maiden's Kiss. Ah. <laughs> I am yep. not you right now. He did that. That's like, awesome. I yeah. don't know how he does it. Oh, 
I, I, I've told Rob, I, I can't wait till we get to another book. It's probably going to be a little ways down the road, but I already have the beer sitting in my fridge. It, this beer was specifically brewed and named, and the art on it, everything is for this book. Like, the, the people who <laughs> brewed it definitely read this book. It's titled the same thing as the book. Like, the artwork is the character from this book like i'm so excited for that one on Brad, that you're note, gonna be drew, so angry <laughs> yeah on that note drew i just found my what well, the beer i'm gonna be using for i think it's gonna be path Ooh. of daggers part two or part three if we're gonna be doing two or three parts on that one but depending on where that okay. falls in the book i've already got mine for the path of daggers i've got you're gonna love this one too oh i can't wait can't wait but yeah on on that note this has been episode 40 uh, the episodes. Inking Out Loud podcast. Oh wow, yeah. we're we're getting close to our uh, our fiftieth episode. We got to figure out what we're doing. I'm for that. honored, but to have be on your fortieth. I am so yeah, honored yeah. that you would come on our show, <laughs> Daniel. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. So next up, we will be diving back into the Wheel of Time. We'll be doing the first of three parts of Lord of Chaos. Um, as always, you know, if you're if you're appreciating our content, check us out on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/InkingOutLoud. And uh, we actually have another new announcement as of this yeah, morning. I forgot we have a website, www.iolpodcast.com. Yeah, we do. Uh, Snap. Our, yeah, our recurring special guest, Jared Livingston, uh, did some awesome work for us on that. And uh, it looks great. We're very excited to have that up. So go check us out there. And uh, yeah, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. As always, my co-host, Rob Santos. Heyo. And our very special guest, Daniel Green. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. Anytime, guys. I'm happy to do it. I don't know why I just waved <laughs> you. The listeners could not see me. That's just for us. That's just <laughs> for us. Go. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>